Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. The Holy Bible is the very word of God to us. So with humility and with a sense of reverence, I would like to invite you to open your Bibles with me. Uh, to the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 34. Uh, That's Mark, chapter 8, verse 34. And as you do that, uh, let me say that I'm really thankful to God uh, once more for the opportunity uh, to preach this morning. Uh, As some of you may know me, my name is Ruben Moyana. I'm one of the elders here at Crosspoint. It's a a joy to, to serve in that role. And uh, I'm really thankful to God for this body of believers. And I'm thankful to the Lord for Pastor Brad for his diligence uh, every week to preach the word of God faithfully to us. Um, We cannot take that uh, for granted uh, to have a pastor who loves the word and to preach it. So we have been walking as a church through the book of Hebrews. uh, And this morning we find ourselves again taking a break. We're actually taking a little break in the summer. And uh, doing a little series where we will be uh, looking at these encounters uh, with Jesus that we see primarily in the Gospels. And this morning, I want to begin by looking at chapter 8 in the book of Mark. And uh, for a little context, I'm going to read uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 36. But I'll be preaching on, the, on one verse, which is Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Uh, this is the word of God. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Oh God, we thank you for the scripture uh, that we are looking at this morning. God, we, we pray, we pray, God, asking for your help, God. God, I pray that you would help me this morning as I attempt to, to deliver your word faithfully to your people this morning. God, we pray that you would strengthen us with your word, encourage us, challenge us, give us clarity and conviction uh, through your word, uh, by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So these days, uh, generally speaking, uh, we can say that when we look at our church culture in general, we have a church culture uh, that wants an easy religion, uh, a religion that promises blessings, uh, a religion that promises prosperity, worldly success, and absolutely makes no demand uh, of us whatsoever. Um, you know, some of you will remember I was in Africa uh, last year, and uh, I was addressing some pastors there where in the, on the African continent, how there's such uh, a spread of this so-called prosperity gospel, like where people uh, don't make much of, of, the, of the word of God. 
And, uh, so that, and I know that's not just in Africa, but it's also here in America. We see it everywhere. If you turn the television on, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious. In fact, I want you to listen to what the late pastor theologian uh, James Montgomery Boyce uh, writes in his commentary on the, on the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, this is what Dr. Montgomery Boyce says. Uh, he says, uh, we live in a day when a substantial part of the evangelical world once a domesticated Jesus who blesses, satisfies, feels, thrills, and strengthens his followers, but does not insist on a cross. What we need is the genuine Jesus who demands that his followers die to self and actually follow him. Now, this is what the genuine Jesus to us, says to us this morning in this text. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about the sovereignty of God uh, in Reformed circles especially. But we must be careful that we also address the responsibility of men. You see, the same Jesus who talks about the fact that it is the Father who draws man to himself is also the same Jesus who says that, deny yourself. It's the same Jesus who said, repent, believe, come to me, take up your cross, follow me. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke about the sovereignty of God, but he also did speak about the responsibility of man. So in this particular passage, Jesus really, he highlights the responsibilities for his followers. So, so, so what are some of the responsibilities here in this, in this one verse? Well, it's very simply stated here. And yet, if we can be honest, it is very hard to live. We see the demands of following Jesus in the text here. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And again, th th this is our responsibility. Or to put it another way, we can say that this is the cost of discipleship. And to be clear, we, we, are, not, we, are, not saying, we are not saying that doing these things is what qualifies us to get in the kingdom. But we're saying that, <clears throat> we're saying that doing these things is actually the evidence that we are in the kingdom. That God has regenerated us. So the Lord Jesus, again, he had a lot to say during his earthly ministry. Uh, but if we can be honest, most of the things that Jesus Christ did say were uncomfortable and unpopular for his day. You know, we, we, we want a Christianity that does not cost us anything. Uh, we want a Christianity that does not demand anything from us. We want to pray a prayer, then go to live on the whatever way we want to as long as we, we get to go to heaven. Again, we want a Christianity that does not demand anything from us. In other words, we want a Christianity that still allows us to indulge ourselves. A Christianity that gives us prosperity and comfort and worldly success and no suffering, no cross, no discomfort whatsoever. But in this, in this encounter with Jesus... We see that following Jesus or biblical discipleship is very costly for us. And we need to be reminded of this. 
We need to truly understand discipleship rightfully according to Jesus because if our discipleship, ladies and gentlemen, is faulty, then we will not really produce much fruit for the kingdom of God and we will not give much glory to God. So let me, let me give you a little context as I begin here. So the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's talking uh, in the text here, uh, he is in uh, Caesarea Philippi. Uh, right before this, we have seen Jesus in the book of Mark. He has cleansed a leper. Uh, he has healed the blind. He has commanded a storm to stop. He has fed 4,000 people miraculously. And then immediately before this text here, we, we see Peter confessing to Jesus as Messiah. But then, Peter starts to rebuke Jesus. Right after Jesus foretells that he's going to die and then he's going to rise again. And then Jesus, in turn, rebukes Peter. And he makes a bold, bold statement, boldly clear, that he has to suffer, that he has to die, because, because this is God's plan for him to save the world. So who is Jesus talking to here? Well, he's talking to a crowd. He's talking to a crowd of people. That includes his disciples. So we have some disciples, and then we have some people who are following Jesus along. Some of the people that are following Jesus are authentic and some people are following for not the right reasons. They're not authentic. In fact, we can say that some of the people were just fascinated by Jesus. They were just fascinated by the miracles of Jesus. And that was the only reason why they were following him. We can say they were fascinated by the prospect of the supernatural. So again, we have a crowd of people most of them, if you think about it, have probably really not considered the implications of what it means to follow Jesus. They were exposed to Jesus, but they had not really fully considered the implication of what it personally meant to follow Jesus. My dear friends, do you, do you, have, you have you personally... Have you personally considered the implication of following the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you? We can be in a culture like the Bible Belt culture that talks a lot about spiritual things. A culture that talks about God. A culture that talks about Jesus. A culture that talks about church. And yet not truly consider what it really means to follow Jesus for ourselves. So I want to challenge us this morning to consider Jesus in a way that Jesus would want us to consider him. And let me say that it's easy, it's so easy to listen to a sermon and think that someone else needs to hear it. So I want you to consider what it means for you personally. Not the person on your left not the person on your right, not the person in front of you or behind you. But I want you to consider what it means for you personally. You see, in our day, we have some people who are following Jesus for the right reasons, and then some people who are following Jesus for the wrong reasons. 
Some come to Jesus just for the prospect of the supernatural. And some come for worldly prosperity, like I said before, worldly success. They only come to Jesus to get the blessings of Jesus. Or to get some type of supernatural experience. But then sometimes people are sincere. They really want to follow Jesus. But they do not know how to. They do not know what it means to genuinely follow Jesus. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus tells us the real demand of what it means to follow him. And may God help us this morning to hear him. So I want to show you two primary points this morning uh, about what Jesus says about following him. Uh, the first point I want to show you is that following the Lord Jesus Christ involves a denial of self. Following the Lord Jesus Christ involves a denial of self. And then secondly, I want us to see that following the Lord Jesus Christ means total commitment to the will of God and putting the Lord Jesus Christ first. So let's start off with the first point, that following Jesus Christ involves a denial of self. Denial of self-interest, a denial of self-desires for the sake of the name of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. Jesus says that if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. So what does, what does that mean? What does, what does deny mean? Well, the sense of the Greek word for deny means to disown to disregard, to forsake, to renounce, to reject, to refuse, to restrain, to disclaim, to do without. To deny means to subdue, to disregard yourself, to refuse one's interest and one's desires. Simply stated, we can say that to deny means simply to say no. But we're saying no to who? To ourselves. So a Christ follower is called to deny themselves. So if we put it in a, in a negative way, we can say that it, it means giving up something. We are giving up something or doing without something. But if we put it in a positive way, we can say it's saying yes to Christ while we are saying no to self. In other words, it means letting the Lord Jesus Christ rule and reign in our hearts and in our lives and to let Jesus Christ have his way with us completely. My dear friends, does Jesus Christ have his way completely in your life? Does he? Jesus Christ is to rule in our lives if we are truly His. But the problem, though, is that the natural tendency for mankind is our sinful, in, our, in, our, in our sinful state is this self-indulgence. You see, there is always a natural tendency for us to indulge our flesh and rebel against God. 
You know, we throw away moral, moral restraint. We throw away godly discipline. And then we yield to the desire to gratify our selfish appetites and our selfish cravings, which are often ungodly. Uh, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself. In other words, Jesus again is saying, throw yourself indulgence out of the window and don't live in the passions of your flesh like verse 3 says here. Don't carry out the desires of the body and the desires of the mind that ultimately do not honor Christ. You see, when we, when, we, when, we, when we indulge ourselves, Jesus really makes it clear here in this text that, that it, it is so common. That's why he, he even has to say it. Why would we need to, in, to deny ourselves if we are not indulgent? We like to indulge ourselves, but Jesus, again, he wants us to deny ourselves. We are so self-consumed, aren't we? But Jesus says, deny yourself. Deny self-indulgence. Deny self-centeredness. Deny self-preoccupation. Deny self-absorption. Deny self-promotion. Deny self-pleasuring. Deny self-exaltation. Deny self-aggrandizement, self-glorification, self-sufficiency. Deny self. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself. So may, may God help us, right? May God help us to love commitment and godly discipline instead of comfort and ease. May God help us to love sacrifice and humility instead of recognition and fame. May God help us to love service and ministry instead of position and power. May God help us that we would love righteousness and self-control instead of pursuing ungodly pleasure and ungodly self-satisfaction. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself. Deny yourself. In other words, avoid any ungodly self-indulgence. And why? why? Why is that a big deal? Why should we indulge? Why should we not indulge ourselves? Well, it's because, if you think about it, self-indulgence, or, or, or really not, not denying ourselves, ultimately leads to futility and vanity. Listen to the words of King Solomon now, King Solomon did not deny himself of anything. You see, King Solomon was why He had a lot of wisdom, 
and he had a lot of wealth. And King Solomon writes about the vanity of self-indulgence uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, King Solomon indulged himself with, with all kinds of pleasures. You know, he, he bought himself all types of wine to drink. He built himself nice houses. He built himself, he planted vineyards, made gardens and parks. He planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. He made himself anything he wanted to. He had slaves, concubines, the list goes on and on. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 9, this is what King Solomon writes. He says this. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And listen to verse 10. And whatever my heart, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So, so, so King Solomon did not deny himself of any pleasure or any possessions or any experience or whatever his heart desired. He did not keep it from himself. But in the end, in the end, he said that it was all vanity. It was a striving after the wind. In his final recommendation in the book of Ecclesiastes, actually, if you look in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, this is what he says. This is his final recommendation. He says, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So in other words, Solomon is showing us that, that we should deny ourselves. Fear God and follow him by keeping his commandments, by obeying him. Because ultimately, we are accountable to God. And we will be judged by God one day. And our Lord Jesus Christ, if you think about it, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he was the prime example of denying himself, wasn't he? You see, Jesus Christ denied himself completely. He sacrificed and gave all that he had, even his own life. The Lord Jesus Christ did not even have a place to lay his head. That is baffling to me. That, that, that the animals of the world, you know, they had a place to lay their head. The birds had their nests. The foxes had their holes. But the Son of Man says he did not have a place to lay his head because he denied himself ultimately to meet the needs of a dying and a desperate world. Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, be like me and deny yourself. When you don't deny yourself for the sake of Christ, 
it means you are, you are living in the passions of your flesh and you are carrying out or practicing the desires of your flesh which ultimately are not lining up with the desires of God. And when we deny ourselves on the other hand, it means that we are, we are putting aside our own works and we are putting aside our own interest. We are putting aside our own priorities even our own enjoyment at times for the sake of the work and the interest and the priorities of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you may say, well, Reuben, that's really, really hard. It's really hard to deny yourself. And I get it because I'm right there with you. Well, you know what? We, we are, but, but if we can be honest, though, we are always denying ourselves, aren't we? In some way. I mean, for example, parents, right? How many times have you watched like the episodes of Bluey and Peppa Pig and Paw Patrol when you really wanted to watch something else on television? Or how many times have you slept on the corner of the bed when your child was all stretched out and, and you could not sleep? You know, you, you deny your own wants and your own desires and your own comforts for the sake of your children, don't you? So self-denial means we put aside our own works we put aside our own interests. We put aside our own enjoyments and priorities for the priorities of God. Again, self-denial ultimately means we are not living for ourselves, but we are living for who? For who? For Christ, for God. So Romans chapter 14, uh, the Apostle Paul is helpful there. If we go to uh, Romans chapter 14, verse, verse, verse 6. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Uh, he says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. For while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And then, to the Corinthians, he writes this. He says, for if, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 13 to 15. Uh, he says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all, listen to this, that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him. Who takes, who for their sake died and was raised. So this is saying, deny yourself, no longer live for yourself, but live for Christ. So following Christ involves a denial of self-interest, of our, of our desires, ultimately for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Christ. And this has to be really evident if we call ourselves Christians. Um, and really, again, only God can help us to do that. Which takes me then to our, our, our second point, uh, which is uh, that following the Lord Jesus Christ 
means total commitment to the will of God and putting Christ first. Again, following Christ means total commitment to the will of God and putting Christ first. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And he says this, really, if you think about it, with a, with a voice of divine authority. You know, Jesus Christ is all power in heaven and on earth. He's got all authority. He's making this invitation to us to follow him. And because of his divine authoritative call, we must realize ourselves that following Jesus Christ is something that we really need to carefully consider. In other words, again, like I've said, we must count the cost. So Pastor Charles Spurgeon, you all don't know anything about this guy. Uh, he preached a sermon uh, by the title of Fickle Followers from Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62. And uh, he preached it on March the 27th in 1890. And I was reading uh, part of that sermon and I thought it was amazing how some of the things he was saying are so applicable for our day. So Spurgeon says, so I would say to everyone here that we want you to come. We want you to join the army of Christ. We want you to be followers of the Redeemer. But not unless you count the cost first. We beg you not to take the name of Christ upon you unless you, truly, unless you are truly His in your very soul. Do not dare to be added to the church of God unless heart and soul and spirit, your whole nature goes with your profession and you become truly and really a follower of Christ. This is total commitment. Oh, may we count the cost. Not just because Spurgeon says it, but because it's in the Bible. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 says this. Now great crowds accompanied him, meaning Jesus. And he turned to them and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Likewise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is, he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks them for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So this is a picture of total commitment. Now, I'm, I'm sure some of you are a little shocked from verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children 
and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You may say, what? Hate? I thought, I thought God was all about love. And doesn't Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 says that we're supposed to honor our father and mother? So how are you doing that? How are you honoring your father and your mother if you hate them? Well, my dear friends, the best way for us to really understand scripture is to look at what other scripture says. So we turn to the book of Matthew chapter 10 uh, verse 37 to get a little clarity here. So Matthew Chapter 10, verse 37 says, this is Jesus again. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me, you see that's the key there, those three words, more than me. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So, so when Luke chapter 14 verse 26 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, what he is saying is that in comparison, your love for Jesus should be so, so much more when you compare it to your love for those people that you're closest to. So much that that love, when you think about it, looks like hate in comparison. In other words, he's using what is known as hyperbole to make a point. He's using exaggeration to make a point. It's like somebody saying, I just, I'm dying. I just can't wait to get out of here so I can stop listening to Reuben. Right? It's like you're not really dying. You're just exaggerating so that you can make a point, right? So, so the point again is that followers of Christ must be totally committed to Christ. And the best expression of that commitment is really having this deep, real, authentic love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear friends, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ in this way? See, I'm not asking you if you love a certain theology. I'm not asking you if you love religion or ministry. I'm not asking you if you love coming to church or if you love going to youth or young adults. I'm not asking you if you love certain preachers or teachers of God's word. I'm not even asking you if you love the blessings of God. But... I am asking, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love him more than you love your mother, your father, your wife, your husband, your children, your boyfriend, your girlfriend? And most importantly, do you love him more than you love your very own life? This is the type of love that is expected of us if we are truly committed to Jesus Christ. So... As we are committed to Christ, we are supposed to deny ourselves. And then Jesus says to his followers, we are to take up our cross. Take up our cross. What does that mean? Well, in order for us to understand this, we must realize that 
the cross really, it meant something a whole lot different for the people in the first century than it, it means for us. You see, in our day, we decorate our houses with, with, and our churches with crosses. Just like behind me, there are two crosses. In front of me, there's a cross. We even decorate ourselves with crosses, tattoos with crosses, necklaces, earrings with crosses. And there's nothing wrong with that. So to us, really, a cross represents our Christian faith, right? But, but to the person in the first century, the cross was the most painful, humiliating form of execution in the Roman era. It meant death. So for the, for, for the crowd that Jesus is talking to, crucifixion must have been really a shocking metaphor for discipleship. But Jesus was making a point though, wasn't he? That his disciples must, must deny himself. They must die to self-will. Take up your cross. Embrace God's will, no matter the cost. And follow Christ. You have been crucified with Christ, and you no longer live. But Christ lives in you. Being willing to take up your cross is a picture that shows that we are fully committed to Christ and that the Lord Jesus Christ really has got first priority over everything. And my dear friends, does Jesus Christ have first priority in your life? In other words, are we willing to give up ourselves to deny ourselves, to give up ourselves to the will of God without any reservation? Are we willing to subject all that we are and all that we have without any hesitancy and without any reluctance to obeying the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we willing? Oh, we must be willing. Now, I know we've got a lot of military people in our church. If you're in the military, you, you do this, don't you? You're always willing to deny yourself and obey your commander without any hesitancy and without any reluctance. And why is that? Well, it's because you respect their rank, right? So my, 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 my friends... The Lord Jesus Christ is our heavenly commander. He is the all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign commander. And there is no one with a higher rank than he does. And when he gives us orders, ladies and gentlemen, we must follow them without any hesitancy and without any, reluctant, any reluctance. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And, and, and we need to do that. Jesus Christ does not need fickle followers to borrow from Spurgeon. We must surrender our whole life to him. So listen to what Spurgeon, I'm not supposed to be quoting two, two quotes from the same author in one sermon, but I'm going to do it. Spurgeon says, there are many Christians of that sort nowadays 
They work at their own business. They do a little while, a little now and then, between whiles in Christianity. You're not Christian unless you put Christ first. He will not come into your heart to sit in the worst chair in the house. He will not come into your soul to be lodged in the garret. He must first have the best room and the best seat in the room. He must be first. And not even father and mother may come before the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ be not first with thee, Christ is nothing to thee. You cannot have him to play with. You must surrender your whole life to him and make him the first and last object of your life's ambition if you have him at all. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want the Lord Jesus Christ to be first with me. I want to surrender my whole life to him. So my friends, let's make Jesus Christ the first and the last object of our life's ambition. Let us be committed to him. Let us follow him. In a world of many different religions, like Buddhism, Islam, Scientology, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, and all the like, we must be careful that we are following the right one. All the other religions ultimately lead to eternal destruction to hell. But following the Lord Jesus Christ leads to eternal life to heaven. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Follow me, he says. So what does that look like? What does that look like to follow him? Well, following Jesus Christ, we've already seen that it, may, it means to make an unwavering commitment. And following is something that you have to do by yourself, isn't it? No one can do it for you. Not your father, not your mother, not your sister, not your wife, not your husband, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend. You must follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you must follow him by yourself. And you must follow him willingly and unconditionally and genuinely without any hypocrisy whatsoever. So again, my friends, there is no higher honor. There is no greater delight than to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us really that we must enter through a narrow gate and a narrow road that leads to heaven. This is against the ways of the world, which is a, a wide gate a wide road that leads to hell, to eternal destruction. And unfortunately, very few people are on the narrow path and many people are on the wide path. So what does it look like practically for us to follow Jesus? Well, it means that we are following his teaching, right? It means that we read and we get to know and live according to the word of God. It means we order our lives according to the word. 
You see, when we follow him, it means that we embrace the whole teaching of the Bible and we don't just pick and choose parts of the Bible that are convenient and parts of the Bible that are comfortable for us. So what else? What else can we say about following Christ? Well, when we follow him, it means that we follow him in the way of light. We follow him in the way of light and not in the way of darkness. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Follow him. Follow him in the way of light. But when we follow him, though, we must realize, though, what it means. In some instances, it means receiving misunderstanding from the world. Receiving mocking from the world. Persecution, suffering, and even death from the world in some instances. You know, there are people in other countries who are persecuted like that. They die for their faith. They they die because they identify as Christians. Jesus suffered. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was crucified. And by the way, he says, you too, you must be willing. You must be willing to suffer. You must be willing to be rejected. You must be willing even to give your life for the sake of his name and for the sake of the gospel. You see, when we follow him, it means that he wants your whole life and he wants your mind. He wants your heart. He wants your will. And he wants to enable you and he wants to equip you to follow him. You see, all the other religions are about what you can do for yourself to get to heaven. But Christianity is about denying yourself and following Christ and understanding what he has done. So what has he done? Well, Jesus Christ came to live a life that you and I could not live. He died a death that you and I deserve to die on a cross. Even though he had no sin to die for, he died. But Jesus rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death so that if we turn away from our sins and trust in him, we are forgiven and reconciled to a holy God based on what he has done and not what we do. And he he did it all so that we would follow him. So for those who would follow Jesus Christ, for those who would repent, for those who would believe, he offers you forgiveness. He offers you reconciliation. He offers you mercy. He offers you free pardon. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Even though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Even though... Our sins are red like crimson. They shall become like wool. Now I realize that this is a challenging sermon. So let me leave you with just a little encouragement. So even though denying ourselves and picking up our cross, even though it may seem like a daunting task, let me remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that we do not do that in the power of our our own power. But we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
we are enabled and we're equipped by, by the Holy Spirit. And then let me also encourage you by saying that the, re, the rewards for following Jesus are so, so great. The rewards are so amazing. Matthew chapter 5 verse 12 says, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Following the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to everlasting real joy. This is Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Again, I'll say it. There is no higher calling. There is no greater honor. There is no greater delight. There is no greater reward than to follow the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the clarity of Your Word. Even though it can be challenging to us at times, Father, thank You for the fact that when we truly follow You, You assure us that You will bring us all the way to our eternal home, to eternal glory. So God, help us. Help us to deny ourselves for the sake of your name, Father, help us to take up our cross. Help us to follow you. Help us to be fully committed to you, O oh God. Help us to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And God, help us to do all that, not for our own name, but for your name. In Jesus' name I pray. And the people say,